everybody, welcome to another episode of To Throw Over Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one half of the show. My name is Jeff. The other half sitting virtually across from me is Mark A. Johnston. Mark, this is opening week. We're here. Yes. Very excited. And and also, since you mentioned uh, virtually being sitting across from you, I, I really like this new hologram thing. I'm so much more handsome in hologram. Yeah, I know. Could you just make sure you put some clothes on it? It's really well, distracting. It's like Atari 2600 kind of. Yeah, it's, well, it's, this, it's like the Sims. It's blurred out in specific regions, but it's still <laughs> it's enough. Uh, it's, it's a lot to take in. It's, it's kind of uh, aggressive, the the pose that you've got yourself in here. But. Well, anyway, yes, more importantly, opening week, one of the most beautiful weeks of the year. Yep. What is it? Thursday coming up here. Uh, I, I know we're we're getting towards we're getting towards the end of March Madness and everybody that's a basketball fan loves those, especially those first couple of rounds of March Madness where you just sit and watch basketball all day long from morning yes. to, to midnight. That yes, is, you know, I don't watch basketball, so that doesn't do it for me. But opening day is like that. And exactly. I, I love it. And, and minor leagues, too. I mean, there's always baseball at some point during the day now. So that's great. Can't beat it. I love it. All right. Well, before we get too deep into the show here, Mark, let's get uh, ready. I'm already back. I had practice earlier today. I'm still in one piece. Had a good practice. Got some good rips. My arm isn't falling off, but I feel like we should still take some more BP just to be safe. Okay. Okay. I, I, I do have a question for you uh, once we get to a point where you want to slip that in. Uh, well, why don't we? Do, well, let's get it out of the way right now. What do you got? Okay, okay. I, I, I'm going to tell you the, the for the Cincinnati Reds for this coming season. I, I'm going to tell you who the top three paid players on the Reds are, and I want you to tell me who you think might be the fourth, unless you already know. Oh, I, yes, I I already know this, but hit me with it anyway. Let's well, see. Let's see uh, who let's the see. listeners get. Will Myers. Yep. Making six million, Mike Mustakas making twenty-two million, and of course the great Joey Votto making twenty-five million. Yep. So the fourth spot is three point six million. In uh, and who who would that be, Jeff? Well, it's it's not Bobby Bonilla. No, nope. we, we don't have a whole day dedicated to it, but it is still the apparently he's an active Hall of Famer, Ken Griffey Jr. That's right, Ken Griffey Jr., the fourth highest player on the Cincinnati Reds. Well, he would he would be the the highest player on the A's by several million. <laughs> oh man, no question, uh, no question. We were talking not too long ago about the uh, the starter for the A's I, yeah. I, opening day, and uh, I, interesting idea to go with that guy. Yeah, I couldn't pull uh, Miller Mueller. I don't remember. He came over in the. See, I've forgotten him already. The catcher. Once you're gone from the A's, you're you're dead to me. <laughs> Uh, it's so true <laughs> but yeah i'm really excited for this uh for this opening day as an A's fan let me tell you otani versus M mueller miller it should be a great one <laughs> Mueller? Mueller? i don't know yeah yeah i, I, don't, know. I don't know it's yeah, i looked at his minor league stats and uh well, boy, he, he must have really improved yeah i mean he's supposed to be uh he's supposed to be a prospect but you don't typically have prospects as your opening day starter. No, I've seen that happen and it never ends up good. Yeah, well, uh, let's uh, let's see. What else have we got here? I've got, uh, so Mark, last week I talked about my habit of correcting people, like if they would say mitt instead of glove for catcher yes. as a first baseman, because that's just the, the, the nerd and the annoying person I am. I'd like to add another one onto that. Yes. Uh, Jumbotron. 
Oh god, I hate that too. There is no such thing as a jumbotron anymore. I, they have been come from? extinct for 25 years. Jumbotrons are only made by Sony. The last working one was uh, at Skydome in Toronto, and that wow. was replaced years ago. I mean, and that was literally the only one. They didn't have parts for it. They were buying it from other people that had collected Jumbotron parts or used to have one and had them sitting around. You got to call it, just call it a screen. Uh, if it's Mitsubishi, it's Diamond Vision. They all right. have names. But Jumbotron is trademarked by Sony, and there are no longer Jumbotrons anywhere. So. See, I learned something else today. I didn't know it was a Sony thing. But I do know I'm annoyed when people ask me if I run the Jumbotron at T-Mobile Park. It's like, oh, God, it's not a Jumbotron. Now, sometimes I just come out and go, well, we don't call it that. Sometimes I just let it go. Yeah, you know? I, well, see, that's the thing. I can't let it go. That's, that's not- exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, Mark, this is outrageous. So MLB is thrown some new things out there. Some, you know, they're going to be uh, they're going to be checking for sticky stuff a lot more aggressively with pitchers. They're going to be, you know, doing a lot of things here. They are now going to be raiding the Bat Boys. What? Yeah, and uh, specifically, if they are not up to par, they're going to be replaced. So now wow. there is extra pressure on these these guys that already work like 18-hour days for home games. Yeah. And do just so much. And now MLB is going to say, hey, you better, you better do a good job or you're going to be out of here. <laughs> That's ridiculous. What are they? Do you know what they're looking for? I have no idea what particularly they're basing this on, but I do mud. (laughs) I I do know that in next year's MLB, the show, I want to have some diamond bat boys. I want rankings for bat boys. Nice. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, because so far I've uh, I've not pulled a diamond in any of my packs from the show. I've earned a couple, but. Uh, I haven't I haven't pulled any, so I'd like to get some diamond bat boys at least to get me started. There you go. Uh, we can't let go Lars Newt Bar and the Pepper Grinder yet, just yet. No. Uh, I saw that in Japanese arcades, so they've got a lot of arcades that are that are very popular, and there's a lot of games that are played there. Like crane games are very popular. Uh, you can even play them virtually from anywhere in the world and operate the crane and they'll mail you the prize if you win it. They wow. are sticking pepper grinders in these things now as prizes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I saw I saw several pictures of these cranes with pepper grinders that you're supposed to go down and try and grab. So good luck. Everybody get those grinders. Uh, another thing, Mark, last night. Uh, or not last night, uh, last week on Friday, the Mariners defeated the A's in a split squad game in Arizona. And yes. uh, the big dumper, Cal Raleigh, had a big game, had a couple of hits, had a home run. A Mariners fan on social media proclaimed, uh, Cal Raleigh is now the new owner of the A's. Now, I just, <laughs> just want to let everybody know out there that that is not quite the flex that you might think it is. <laughs> As an A's fan, I would welcome Cal Raleigh. I would welcome Johnny Dickshot, Kurt Bavakwa, heck, even Brett Gardner. Anybody wow. other than John Fisher would be welcome. So just a public service announcement, if you're trying to flex on the A's or A's fans, saying a particular player or team owns them is not really that edgy. So. Yeah, well, especially when he earns the title in spring training. That's a little... Uh... Yeah. 
Well, it's I, a little edgy, all right. So uh, John Fisher, by the way, the owner of the A's, made 68, I think. He was either 48 or $68 million from the A's last year. Oh, geez. And uh, I don't believe we have anybody making <laughs> more than $3 million this year. And the, the lowest payroll in baseball. So, yeah. Uh, Mark, we talk about minor league baseball a bit. Remember, the uh, this has been a thing for the last couple of years. Minor league teams like to change their identity for a series and... Really, it's just a way to sell new merchandise, but uh, mm-hmm. they'll just change their names completely. It happens, but... Yeah, well, it happens. Well, this one is uh, unique. I don't hate it. I don't love it because of the concept, but for four games this year, the Eugene Emeralds are going to become the Eugene Exploding Whales. <laughs> I know the story. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I know this. That's crazy. That's funny, though. Yeah, so do you, do you want to tell the story behind the exploding well, whales lure? I haven't, I haven't seen it recently, but it was somewhere. It was, it was, it must have been near Eugene. Yep, it Oregon. was in, it was in Florence, Oregon, which is near okay. Eugene. And a, a dead whale had washed up on shore, and they were trying to come up with a way to get it out of there and put it back into the water. Uh, and so they came up with the idea to blow it up and shoot it so that like the explosions would shoot it out towards the water. And so they, they actually literally blew the thing up and it went freaking everywhere. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So this took place. You're, you're right on 1970 in Florence, Oregon, 45 foot whale or it was, yeah, a 45 foot whale washed up eight ton sperm whale and uh, (laughs) they couldn't move it. So yeah, they decided to blow it up. They had, Brilliant ideas. They oh, yeah. loaded it with dynamite. <laughs> I don't know if they stuck a, a golf ball in the blowhole to kind of <laughs> you know, keep stuff from coming out of there. They blew it up, and as you said, it went everywhere. There was a crowd of people there to watch it because they're going to blow up a whale with dynamite. They right. all got It was like a, a big Gallagher concert. Everybody got covered, but it wasn't watermelon. It was whale stuff. Yes. So, yeah, the Eugene Emeralds will become the Eugene Exploding Whales for a series this upcoming year. I'm going to get you a jersey from that team right there. <laughs> you know, I've seen the jerseys are, are okay. I think the hats are probably where it's at there. But, oh, that makes sense. But, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic. There's actually newsreel of it. It's pretty amusing to watch. This isn't a myth. This isn't a myth. This right. happened. And, yeah, yes. it's it's. You can see it. Yeah, you can uh, you can watch it. Just uh, type in the old YouTube and exploding whale Oregon, and I'm sure you'll come up with that. <laughs> Make sure you put Oregon because you don't want to watch all the rest of the exploding whales. Well, I'm guessing most people learned from their folly. <laughs> That's what I would think. Yes, <laughs> you were you were raining whale guts upon the crowd. That's yeah. probably not what they came for. Uh, you know, at least Gallagher when he would do it, his stuff was edible. I, I mean, maybe whale guts are edible. I wonder I if people, partake. did the people in the front row come prepared and did they, you know, have plastic <laughs> bags and stuff? They're ponchos on. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Now, if, sure. if you're, if you're not of a certain age, you have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about Gallagher, but I think most <laughs> of our listeners probably get the, get the reference. All right, Mark, I'm excited because we're, we're now in the heart of debuts. This is, I I love talking about this. Uh, This show is debuting on March 28th. We have got a good bunch of debuts here. These are some some guys with pop. No pitchers to speak of, but I've got four guys that can really hit the ball hard. First of all, making his debut today in 2012, Yoannis Cespedes, which I think that might have been in Japan, too. 
<laughs> Remember last <laughs> week we had uh, Yusei Kikuchi and his debut, which was in Japan against uh, right. the Mariners. I want to say that that was another uh, A's Mariners series in Japan, but it can't be. I can't be certain, and I didn't look it up because I'm ill prepared today. But um, <laughs> also, uh, I'm going to guess uh, today was opening day back in 2019 because I got three debuts of big players Ooh, cool. uh, that happened today in 2019. First of all, the polar bear Pete Alonso. Uh, who I believe went on to uh, to break the uh, the rookie home run record that year in 2019, as well as win the home run derby for the first of two years in a row there. Uh, next, Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox, another big power guy. Good stirrup game on Eloy. I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he looks good out there. Yeah, big dude. And uh, then finally, somebody that will be coming back this year, I think it's, he's still got another month to serve, but Fernando Tatis Jr., made his ah, debut yes. in 2019. Yes, when he comes back, you think he's going to be tiny? Uh, <laughs> well, what was it? We said he had gout or dandruff or something that he was taking. No, it was a uh, ringworm. Ringworm, yeah, well. Yes. <laughs> Which, by the way, Jeff, uh, what does ringworm have in common with the Eiffel Tower? I have no idea. They're both Paris sites. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah, sorry. All right, well, uh, that's going to do it for our BP segment. Let's let the grounds come out and do their stuff, mid-season form. They've been, I mean, this crew was at the, the World Baseball Classic. They've been doing spring training. They're they are all over it. So we are all ready to go, and we're going to jump right into our topic for the week. And this is somebody that we've talked about, talking about for quite some time. He's kind of like one of the Mount Rushmore of the patron saints of this podcast. Uh, we've referenced him on many other uh, pod, you know, many other episodes when we were doing patron state episodes, but this week we're finally going to get around to talking about Jay Johnstone. So Mark, I feel like we can start every story of a player in two different ways. If it's a pre-World War II guy, more than likely they grew up in the Midwest on a farm, had some sort of accident with some incredible farm equipment that was never safe, mangled a body part, and that allowed them to play baseball differently, and now they're in the Hall of Fame. Right, that's generally what, we just we just skip over that part now. Yeah, well, I mean, we just say pre-World War II. Now, if it's after World War II, they are usually an all-star athlete in high school. Their real love was football, but they chose baseball, and now they're in the Hall of Fame. Well, that might be true for this week's subject, but in a little bit different way. J. Johnstone was born three months after the end of World War II, so that tells you kind of his origin story there. He was a star athlete in Southern California in high school. On the football field, which Jay considered his best sport, so again, falling right into line here of the, uh, the stereotype, he was a quarterback. So according to interviews, Jay said he had 35 college football scholarship offers and had already signed a letter of intent to play for one of them. I don't know who, but that's uh, that's what he says. By the way, Mark, I will give you and everybody listening to this podcast right now $100 each if you can tell me what number Jay Johnstone wore as a quarterback in high school. Wow. Um, I'm going to guess 82. Well, you're 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 kind of close. So you know, quarterbacks traditionally have numbers that are generally in the very low. Yeah, the mid twenties and down, maybe even a little bit lower than that. Well, Jay Johnstone 
would line up behind center wearing number 55. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's like more of a, a nose tackle number, but you yeah, know, that's odd. I saw the video and it, you know, it kind of fits along with this personality. It may be the only jersey they had that was his size. Who knows? Yeah, probably, that's probably it. But you know the old phrase, how, how do you make God laugh? Make a plan. Well, John Stone was scouted by the Angels on the baseball diamond. And in 1963, the 17-year-old signed for 35000 And just like that, Jay Johnstone was a professional baseball player. The scouts that were looking at him, they were called Tuffy Hassam and Rosie Gilhouse. And just let me say this. If you're being scouted in the 70s and any of those scouts are not named something like Tuffy or Rosie, you're probably not that good. Right. Those are the name of you want. If you want to have a scout as a child, you name them accordingly. (laughs) Tuffy. Tuffy or Rosie. So Johnstone. Charlie. So Johnstone played in center field. He was a very good defensive fielder. And in a stroke of good luck and possibly a precursor of things to come in the minors jay at one point ruined with jimmy pearsall that's fear strikes out jimmy pearsall the same jimmy pearsall that struggled with mental health his entire career including several times when he had some issues while on the field but he learned to live with it and possibly even played it up because people expected him to act a certain way well, yep. at one point, Pearsall told Jay, listen, get your name in the papers. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Just get your name in the papers. Wow. So early in his career, John Stone had a nickname hung on him. It was Moon Man. So this okay. is our second Moon Man nickname, as we've also talked pretty extensively about Greg Minton, who was also called Moon Man and is also up for patron sainthood. <laughs> yes. I found, now, I found two different accounts of how John Stone acquired this name. The first one comes from Buck Rogers. I remember Buck. Now, this is not beady, beady Buck, you know, in the 81st century or whatever. This is Bob Buck Rogers, who, I don't know, I remember him as the manager for the Expos. That's for, where for I would put him, yep, yeah. me too. So uh, this is the version that Buck Rogers says. He said, quote, one day he lost a ball in the sun, but when he came back to the bench, he said, I lost it in the moon. And so, <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, the other one comes from spring training when John Stone and his teammates stumbled back to their hotels late at night, past curfew, and were trying to be very sneaky. And uh, while trying to open the door with his room key, he told his roommate to move. They were blocking his moonlight. <laughs> so both good stories. I kind of like the Buck Rogers uh, a little bit better, but... Uh, this is also right around the time that uh, we were landing on the moon. So everybody was into moon everything. So might have had something to do with it as well. John Stone made his major league debut on July 30th, 1966. In his first three games, he went six for 12. He ended up his first year in the big leagues with a 264 average, three home runs, 17 RBIs, and three stolen bases. Now, these totals would end up being very close to his average for every season in his 20-year career. He had some really good seasons, but this is kind of what to expect from Jay Johnstone. Jay's best year with the Angels came in 1969 when he appeared in 148 games as the everyday center fielder. He hit 270. Had a 321 on base. He hit 10 home runs, knocked in 59, totaled three stolen bases while only being thrown out nine times. 
<laughs> That's probably the ratio I would have. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna get you're gonna steal three. Well, there's gonna be at least three times where the catcher makes a poor throw, <laughs> like to, to through the outfield to the wall. Possibly. Yeah. I didn't say I'd get the third. <laughs> okay. So after the 1970 season, the Angels traded Jay to the White Sox, which led to a couple of years of Jay being sent up and down to the majors and the minors being released. Eventually, he was picked up by the A's. But again, he was released after only 23 games before being signed by Philadelphia. While playing in their minor league system, he got some good coaching and eventually stuck in the majors, spending part of the next five seasons with the Phillies. He hit 303 over that span and totaled an OPS plus of 124. Former wow. Phillies broadcaster Chris Wheeler said Jay was a really good hitter, especially with a fastball. He hated off-speed pitches. Occasionally, when he was fooled by an off-speed pitch, he would unintentionally lose control of his bat. Now, pitchers didn't like that, you know, having a bat come back at them. No, no. Jay said it was always an accident, but uh, Chris Wheeler never believed it. Then there was a time where Jay was amongst the league leaders in doubles. And uh, this is a story from one of his teammates. It said one game he legged a triple into a double. <laughs> <laughs> uh, despite these good numbers, the Phils traded into the Yankees in 1978 and uh, he played sparingly there, but he did earn his first World Series ring, defeating the Dodgers in the World Series that year. The next season, he was traded to the Padres before being released and signing with the Dodgers in 1980 as a free agent. While his numbers in L.A. weren't his best, he found a home there, kind of his, you know, where he grew up in Southern California. Plus, he also found some partners in crime in Jerry Royce and Doug Stanhouse, both of who we have talked a lot about. And he also found an easy target in his new manager, Tommy Lasorda, who we have also done an entire episode on. So Jay's exploits in L.A. are kind of the things that get you elevated to patron state status here, like I've said on this podcast. We've hit several of these before, uh, but we'll go over them again. He was and still is considered one of the hot foot Hall of Famers, mastering the art of lighting other people's shoes on fire. I, I was actually going to say, is that what he's known for? That's funny. One yep. of the many, yes. Yes. Uh, when not lighting them aflame, though, he was also known to nail uh, teammates' shoes to the floor, to benches, to ceilings. Uh, basically, anything that uh, could be nailed to, he would nail the, your shoes. He once put a soggy brownie inside Steve Garvey's first basement and then <laughs> smeared some brownie on Jerry Royce's pants to frame him and then left the stadium. <laughs> this okay, is got to give him credit. It's That's genius. Fantastic. Yeah. And to not stick around for it really throws the suspicion away from you. Oh right? yeah. 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 I'm not sure I get this one uh, so much though. He once cut the crotch area out of Rick Sutcliffe's underwear. <laughs> okay. I mean, well, it sounds like a good prank, but when you're then subjected to seeing the Red Baron's junk, there's yeah. a real downside to this one, I think. Unless, of course, he left the stadium again. <laughs> right. That, that would make sense. I, I personally, I don't think I could pull that off because I just wouldn't want to. You right. want to see when your practical jokes go off, but I wouldn't want to see that. Yeah, I don't either. Not sure if he really thought that one all the way through or not. Yeah, maybe not. It was there. Yeah, uh, This is probably one of my favorite ones. Uh, it, during spring training, he slipped into the Dodger Town clubhouse early with some uh, tools 
and uh, he went to work on Ron Say's locker. Now, Ron Say, nicknamed the Penguin, not the, you know, he's kind of a diminutive guy, not, uh, not the tallest guy. And he cut down all of Say's locker to the size of a penguin. <laughs> and then put a then he put a tiny stool in front of it. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I'm. I have not been able to find a picture of that. I hope there's picture or video somewhere that I'm just not seeing because that would be great. Ronsay, I've mentioned this before. Ronsay and I have graduated from the same high school. Uh, I think I've said this before as well. Ronsay and I went to the same uh, college. That's right. You got to so, remind people. Yeah, just in case there's some new listeners. Beyond pranks, though, he was also known as a free spirit. One time, Dodgers GM Fred Clare was heading from the field to the press box as a game was about to start. And who does he see in full uniform standing in line to order a hot dog at the concession stand? (laughs) But Jay Johnstone, just with fans, he's standing in line. Uh, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, Tommy Lasorda might as well have worn a bullseye on the back of his jersey with Johnstone on the team. Johnstone once gave Lasorda's uniform to the Philly fanatic, who then dressed a blow-up doll with it on the field and had a field day with it, much to the chagrin of Tommy, who was not a fan of the fanatic or, for that matter, any costumed individual. Which, you know what, I'm with Tommy on that one. Yeah, I just I don't I don't like mascots. I I can do the chicken, but the mascots are drawn to me for some reason. And I just I don't like it. Uh, So we've covered this story before in our pranks episode, but I found an interview actually with Lasorda talking about it while actually being interviewed by Jay Johnstone about the infamous grounds crew incident. I look up in the sixth inning and the the ground crew is dragging the infield. And on the board, they show there's 50,000 people at Dodger Stadium. And three guys are in coveralls dragging the infield. It's you, Jerry Royce, and Cameron Brett. 50,000 people get up and give you a standing ovation. I did a good job. (laughs) Now, all three of you come in the dugout. I find each each of you... $250. $250. I told you to get a bat and pinch hit for the pitcher. The first pitch you hit over the right field fence for a home run. You may be the only guy in the history of the major leagues who on the sixth inning, the top of the sixth inning, dragged the <laughs> and the bottom of the sixth inning hit a home run. I won the game, too. I won the game. Now, after I find you, you fellas told Bud Farilla what I had done. Bud Farilla had a talk show in Los Angeles. So he tells the fans, how could Tommy Lasorda find these three guys for what they did? The fans are up in arms. The fans are sending in money to help you guys pay the fine. You each receive $750. You give me $250. You guys clear $500. I'm the culprit, and you three guys are the heroes. I'd never heard that end part before. <laughs> That's outstanding. Oh I, I didn't care for the music that was added to that. Right. <laughs> that is, it, it's the first uh, instance of crowdfunding 
And <laughs> when the, yes. the fans sent in money to cover the fine and the players actually made some uh, made some coin off it. I like uh, it. That's outstanding. That's too good. <laughs> so I think we've covered this next one as well. But again, I got Tommy telling you the story about the time that uh, Jay messed with his phone and also then locked him in his hotel room during spring training. In my room at night, and I had to make a lot of important phone calls. Every time I dialed, the operator couldn't hear me, but I could hear the operator. Mm -hmm. So I said, of all the phones in this Dodger town, mine has to be out of order. That's a shame, right? The next morning, I woke up, and I tried to open the door to come out, and I couldn't open the door. Really? Yeah. Kidding. Now, I couldn't open it. Now, I tried to call for help. The phone. The operator says, yes, Mr. Lasorda, what can I do for you? But she couldn't hear me tell her that I needed someone to come down and open the door. So for three hours, I couldn't get anybody out. Finally, I'm screaming, hollering, and I'm ready to throw a chair through the windows, open the door. And Ralph Avila, our Latin American scout, heard me. He cut the rope. What rope? you did is tied a rope around my doorknob, and that palm tree sitting in front of my door, you wrapped it around the palm tree. I couldn't get out, okay? <laughs> this is just good work. <laughs> this is Absolutely. A strong prank game. <laughs> I love how Lasorda, this far removed from it, can now laugh about it, too. That's oh, great. Well, and he's, he's just a, such, such a great storyteller, too. <laughs> he really is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in one of the most notable, I'm not going to say best, I'm just going to say most notable music performances, which, again, something we have covered in depth throughout our 200-plus episodes, uh, is including, you know, such memorable classics as Get Metzmerized or the Berenguer Boogie. After winning the 1981 World Series, John Stone, Jerry Royce, Rick Monday, and Steve Yeager were booked on an episode of Solid Gold where Marilyn McCoo and Andy Gibb are the <laughs> host. They introduced them and they performed a version of Queen's We Are the Champions that is not something you really need to hear, but uh, you're going to hear it anyways. I my dues Time after time I've done my sentence But committed no crime and bad mistakes, I've made a few, I've had my shoes and kicked in my face, but I got through, we are the champions Now, that makes Get Metzmerized look like Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, that, that, that was a little rough. I mean, it, it, you could tell, it was, by the first couple of notes, you could tell it was going to be a struggle. <laughs> and if you think it sounded bad, you should see the choreography, because they're not just standing there. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so if you, if you hang around after Wax Packs this week, we'll play the entire thing into your ears. Yeah, if yeah you I, I got to go. I gotta. <laughs> uh, I would also say uh, maybe look it up on YouTube because, like I said, there's choreography from this, and uh, it is a it is a thing. 
While he was thriving on the prank front, he didn't have a great season in 1981. But despite that, he went on to get a second World Series ring as the Dodgers beat the Yankees in the World Series, a series that included a pinch hit home run for John Stone to help the Dodgers win game five. That pinch hit home run did not come after he dragged at the infield, though. He was in the dugout when he was called upon to pinch hit. The Dodgers eventually released him and Jay signed with the Cubs, where he played as a backup outfielder for a couple of seasons before returning to L.A. for the final 17 games of his career in 1985. Mark, we kind of like to look at baseball cards here on this podcast. I don't know if if you've noticed. We have looked at a few. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we also did an entire episode uh, dedicated to the 1984 Glenn Hubbard snake card. (laughs) as well as another episode dedicated to a set of baseball cards produced by Christy Brinkley. That's right. Jay has one of those famous cards, not because of the player on it, but because of what the player is doing. He's not holding a snake. He's not wearing a comically oversized glove or anything like that. But he is wearing what I have always called an umbrella hat in his Cubs uniform. And appropriately enough, it was covered with Budweiser logos because (laughs) it was a cub. But now what I did find out about this uh, is that those are, in fact, not called umbrella hats, but rather this one was called a Brock umbrella named (laughs) after Hall of Famer Lou Brock. So wearing an umbrella on one's head is not something that Lou Brock came up with. In fact, the first patent for an umbrella hat is from 1880. Believe it or not. That was definitely before their time, yeah. Yeah. Brock first sported one of these, coincidentally enough, at Wrigley Field uh, as a Cardinal. He wore it jokingly during batting practice because Cubs fans are known to be a bit rowdy and would sometimes buy beer explicitly for the purpose of throwing it at opposing players. So he thought, I'm just going to wear this Brock umbrella and protect myself. You know, I just want to point out how wrong that is. You know, those are expensive beers. For me, I don't care if people throw beers. As long as it's not at me, because no. I don't drink beer. So Don't waste your money. You know, it just makes sense. supporting local commerce. Because yeah. baseball right. teams right. don't make enough. No, no. Yeah. All right, so I know the name of this actor, Billy Crudup. Crudup? I'm not sure. I, I, I know the name, but I couldn't tell you a thing he's been in. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup of one. But what I can tell you is that Billy's father was the genius who slapped a bunch of Budweiser logos on an umbrella hat and got Lou Brock to endorse it. No kidding. Yeah, so that's how the Brock umbrella (laughs) came about. Following his retirement from the game, Jay immediately went into broadcasting where he was a natural. He worked in the booth for both the Yankees and the Phillies, as well as publishing three books about his life in baseball. Eventually, Jay was given his very own show called The Lighter Side of Sports, which, man, I remember watching this show. Me too. Yep. Uh, And there is there is gold in these here shows. Uh, He basically plays pranks on athletes, many of whom are baseball players. Uh, There was no real audio that I could use for this one, but he plays the old powder horn trick on on several players, including my favorite one is when he got Mike Bordick. So what this is, is he's got a little horn. It looks like a mini French horn. He gets somebody else on the team to be involved with this. He says, I'm going to interview you. I want you to go get somebody else. I'm going to put this horn. We're going to lay it on the grass a little bit out of the shot. And uh, I want you to tell them to come up and grab this horn and blow it. Come up behind us and blow it to try and, you know, distract us and scare us during this interview. 
And uh, so, you know, the guy knows what's going on. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they put talcum powder in this horn. Well, this horn has a, a, a hole that's pointed right back at the person that blows it. So you can see it. I think it was Rick Honeycutt was being interviewed. My favorite guy. He's being interviewed by Jay Johnstone. And you see Mike Bordick creep up and he grabs this this horn and he comes up behind uh behind Rick Honeycutt, and he blows it, and immediately, talcum powder all over his face. <laughs> they, he does this several times with several different teams. It's a great, uh, it's a great joke. Uh, the other one that's a great one is the smelly microphone. So this Jay goes to batting practice, and he puts some liquid on his microphone that smells like rotten eggs. It is literally essence of rotten egg. It's the stuff they put in natural gas so people smell when there's a gas leak. Well, he douses the windscreen of the mic with this, and then he goes and asks a player a question, and he sticks this mic, like, uncomfortably right under their nose. (laughs) Here he gets former teammate and my personal pitching coach, Dave Stewart. Jay Johnstone with baseball today. With me, Dave Stewart, premier pitcher with the Oakland A's. And Dave, a short spring training hasn't hurt you any. Well, I don't think it's hurt. You know, I've been working out since uh, December 1st, so it hasn't been really been a short spring for me. You know, a lot of guys. Uh, what's the matter? <laughs> Come back here. Come back here. Come back here. <laughs> Come back. Stu is at this point running away from him. (laughs) It is, I can imagine, just atrocious. Uh, Jay also found his way on the silver screen beyond his numerous TV appearances. His first role was in a movie that I had never heard of until uh, researching Jay, and now I must see it. It is called Body Slam. Have you heard of this one? It's, uh, I think so, but I'm trying to remember. It's, it, it, isn't it like about, it's a wrestling movie. And yeah. It's about, yeah, which is a shock because it's called Body Slam. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like this weird parody kind of thing. I think I saw it all. Well, here's the, uh, here's the, the short description from IMDb. A down on his luck music manager for the fictional rock band Kick finds his luck changing when he by mistake also starts managing a successful wrestling duo. Now, listen to the cast here joining Jay Johnstone, who had a minor part. He was just, uh, he was an announcer. The lead role was none other than Mr. Dirk Benedict, face himself from the A-team. Also, Rowdy Roddy Piper was one of the main characters. Captain Lou Albano was here. Uh, Other wrestlers here. Uh, Tonga Tom was there. Mr. Fuji was uh, here. A couple of the Road Warriors, the original Road Warriors were there. Also starring in this was none other than Mr. Charles Nelson Riley. Okay, see, you got me right there. That's a beautiful thing. I know. Should we have a movie night and watch this, I think? I think absolutely. Now, didn't wait, didn't Match Game come up? Last show or something? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, because somebody's wife that you remember. That's right. <laughs> Landers. There you go. Match game has come up twice in a row. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, I think we might have to have a movie night and watch Body Slam. <laughs> 
And probably his greatest role in movies was as generic Mariner's batter, who was frisks as he steps to the plate by the umpire, who turns out to be none other than Enrico Palazzo in Naked Gun. Interesting note here. Uh, Jay Johnstone was a left-handed batter, but he was uh, batting right-handed. I didn't think I never thought about that. And I knew he was a lefty, too. I've seen the movie a million times, as would be expected, but. That's interesting. I, that's a hilarious scene. Leslie Nielsen completely nails it. John Stone looking completely befuddled the entire time. It's it's good comedy. Then he then he frisks the catcher while he's there. Right. <laughs> he never checked under second base though. It's odd. Yeah. He, no. He, no one did. Yeah. Uh, John Stone spent the later years of his life doing charity work, extensive charity work, before he was diagnosed with dementia, and eventually he ended up in a nursing home before passing away due to COVID-19 complications in 2020 at the age of 74. A uh, notable fact here, uh, he passed away during baseball season, and at the time of his death, as he unfortunately passed away, the lights went out at Dodger Stadium during a game due to a power outage. Hmm. Yeah, that seems awfully suspicious and seems like something that he might have had something to do with. You know, now that we know all about Jay Johnstone, I think that might be a possibility. Yeah, that sounds like uh, somebody might need to check that out. But there you go. I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to I'm going to give him sainthood right away. Patron saint of the uh, Two Strike Noise podcast, Jay Johnstone. Yeah, can't argue with you. I agree. All right, Mark, it is time for us to head into the final segment of the show. Now, I did get, I got notes from a couple of different listeners that have informed me that you are, in fact, the four-time defending Wax Packs Heroes champion. <laughs> okay, you know, it's funny that I never argued that. That's. Uh... <laughs> I just don't know how, this is my, my luck in real life. This is a pure game of chance, yet I never win. <laughs> It is rather odd, but uh, I have to admit that you know when we're when we're not doing the show, I am playing. Oh, your pl- practice games by myself. Oh, wow! Yeah, that that's probably has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I did not know that, but uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's get into uh, this is our final exhibition game before we start next week with the real stuff where it counts again. So yes. uh, let's let the music play and uh, let's get into another edition. Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull the Wax Pack Hero! Mark, I had a big game last week, but it didn't mean anything. But uh, today we're going to go with some uh, 2003 tops again here. So uh, if you're unfamiliar with how we play this game, we're going to open these packs. Then we are going to look up the baseball reference war of the year of the packs, which, as I said, was 2003. Got a couple of extra things that can add or subtract to them, though. Anything on the face. That means glasses, mustache, eye black. Uh, anything like that, get an extra tenth of a point. Also, if you are wearing real stirrups where we can see your sanitary socks, that's a tenth of a point plus. But if you're wearing the two-in-ones, that is a minus tenth of a point. If you won any awards during that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, you were an all-star, won a gold glove, that's half a point of war. 
if there's a Hall of Famer on the card, even if they're not the focus of the card, you're going to get a whole extra point of war. I don't think Nolan Ryan's going to show up in this pack from 2003, but I pulled a Ricky Anderson last week, and because of that, I got a, an additional five points of war. Regardless of who pulls Ricky, I get it if uh, I or Mark pulls Nolan. You get it, Mark? We're each yes. going to pick a team, and uh, if that team shows up, we're going to get a extra half a point of war, regardless of who picks it. And uh, if the player is mentioned at all in the Mitchell report or is suspended during their playing days for uh, any drug or alcohol type items, that's going to be a minus a half a point. And if uh, they've got an IMDB page, uh, you're going to get an extra half a point of war for each one of those, unless uh, you appear on Sabrina the Teenage Witch, The Simpsons, or Seinfeld, at which case you will get a whole point of war. So, Mark, what team are you picking this week? Well, I, I think I'm going to go with the Dodgers. All right. If you're going with the Dodgers, uh, let's see. The Angels, uh, Tuffy and Rosie drafted him. So I'm going to go with yeah. the Angels. Nice. That might be the winning choice right there. All right. So we're going to stay in the greater Los Angeles area. Uh, all right. So this is one of those big jumbo packs. There are like uh, 35 cards in here. We only need 18 of them, Mark. So I'm going to ask you, do you want the top nine or the second nine? Wow, I'm going to go with the top nine. So that Ricky Anderson card on top, that's a bummer. Yeah, well, he's not, I can tell you that. But uh, All right, so you've got the top nine of these 2003 tops cards. And uh, let's see, you're going to start out with a guy that uh, is probably going to get you some good points. Here he is with the Cubs. Uh, this has got to be an early season game at Wrigley Field because there's uh, no ivy on the wall. Carrie Wood. Oh, Nice who uh, I think we've talked about found a dead body while paddleboarding one time. That's right. Also a pretty good pitcher. <laughs> yes, rookie of the year and a two-time All-Star. Rookie of the year in 1998, and then, of course, got injured, and that was uh, something that would haunt him throughout his career. In 2003, he was an All-Star, so good news for you there. 14-11, and 3.2 ERA, 32 games, so he stayed healthy this year. Led the league in strikeouts, the only year he led the league in strikeouts, with 266. Also led the league in hit, by, in hit batters with 21. Ended up with a 136 ERA+. Plus, and that is going to start you out at 6.1. <laughs> wow. He was an all-star, so that'll be a 6.6. Uh, wow. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out, though. But, I mean, 6 points. I, that beat your score from last week already. Yeah, it did, actually. That's funny. Fourth overall pick in the first round by the Cubs in 1995. Let's see, the three players that went ahead of him, Darren Erstad, Ben Davis, and Jose Cruz. Oh, wow. I'd say Erstad had the better career longevity-wise, but I think sure. Kerry Wood is right up there. Yeah, absolutely. I had big hopes for Cruz Jr. Didn't happen. Well, he ended up on the Mariners for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually had got all these autographs and cards and stuff. And, I, you know, I still have them, oddly enough. I'd love to find this on the on YouTube somewhere. Hosted a celebrity bowling tournament called Kerry Woods Strike Zone, which sounds more like, you know, a Super Nintendo baseball game than a bowling tournament. But it raised over $2 million. Wow. So good That's awesome. All right. Uh, let's see. Your next card is going to be a Padre. So, Southern California, but neither of our teams. Sean Burroughs. Now, I'm pretty sure Sean Burroughs was a first-round draft pick, too. If you say so. I, I, I... Uh, yep, there it is. First round, ninth overall by the Padres in the 1998 draft. 
Ended up seven years in the big leagues, four with the Padres, one with the Twins, D-backs, and Rays. In 2003 with the Padres, 146 games, hit 286, seven home runs, 58 RBI, seven stolen bases, a 105 OPS plus, and that is going to equal a war of 2.0. Okay. Let's see. He's got high socks here, but there's no stir, uh, no sanitary showing, so... You're going to have to take the 2.0 and, and like it. Okay, I can deal with that. Something interesting about Sean Burroughs, he threw back-to-back no-hitters in the Little League World Series. Oh, wow. I think I remember that now that you say that. Yeah, I remember something about it, but man, that's a pretty impressive. It ranks up there with uh, 70, 1973 when Taiwan didn't allow a hit in the entire Little League World Series. But somehow didn't win. No, I'm just kidding. I think, I think they probably won. Yeah, they, no, they won. <laughs> so not bad. You're at 8.6 after two cards. Your next card. Oh, you got a manager card. But he is a Hall of Famer. Oh, so that's good. I'll you're going to get one point, and he's wearing real stirrups. <laughs> wow. Of course he is. He's a Hall of Fame manager. Yeah, it's none other than Bobby Cox. Very nice. I think he is the all-time record holder for ejections as a manager. He is. Absolutely. Uh, let's yeah, see. Pretty good career. Yeah, let's. Uh, he was a player for two years. He played for two years in the big leagues for the Yankees in '68 and '69. Uh, let's see. Overall, he was a third baseman as a as a player. He hit 225, had nine career home runs, 58 RBI, and a career .9 WAR as a player. Hmm. Then, as a manager, four years in Toronto and 25 in Atlanta. Wow. Overall record, 2,504 wins, 2,001 losses. He won one World Series and five pennants and was the manager of the year four times and is a Hall of Famer as a manager. T impressive. He also recorded uh, six times a 100-win season. Boy, you know, so I, I've seen a lot of Bobby Cox in person. And uh, at Turner Field, you know, it was just miserable there in the summer. It was so just so humid. And I was stuck in a little sweat box behind home plate every game. But I loved being able to walk up and down the uh, the sideline there, the first baseline by the Braves dugout, because they had coming up from the tunnel uh, just the AC on full blast. And that's why Bobby Cox would always be standing in that one place in the dugout. Ah. All right, you're at 9.7. Your next card is a pitcher for the Brewers, Nick Neugbauer. N-E-U-G-E-B-A-U-E-R. I I can't say I'm familiar with Rick. Yeah, I'm not either. It's got a lot of vowels in that last name. (laughs) Let's see. Nick Nugbauer. Nugbauer. Yep, that's how you you say it. Two years in the big leagues, both with the Brewers. uh, Two and eight career mark in 14 starts. Uh, Unfortunately, his final year in the majors was 2002, so you're not going to get anything from him and nothing on this. Well, you know what? He's got some Brady Anderson sideburns going on there. So I'm going to give you a tenth of a point for those because these are these are Jason Priestley-esque. They're, they're pointy and they're below the earlobe. Very nice. That's kind of my thing too. You know, it used to be before I went with the full beard. That's the uh, that's the, the cutoff point for getting points on, on uh, sideburns is below the earlobe. Yes. You got to have lamb chops or below there. That's right. Uh, let's see. So he didn't play uh, in the majors past 2002. And uh, in fact, he did not uh, play anywhere after 2004. Yeah, I was just reading. He, he, it was a rotator cuff injury, unfortunately. No, that's not good. 
No. Okay, so you're at 9.8. Your next, uh, boy, I think of this guy as a Minnesota twin, but here he is with the Yankees, third baseman Ron Coomer. Ron Coomer. Oh, I remember that guy. Of course, unfortunately for him, Coomer has a different meaning now in internet lingo, but not going to go there. He was uh, once dealt for uh, uh, one of my friends in, in, when I was working in the clubhouse, Craig Hansel of the Dodgers. I think Ron Coomer does radio for the Twins now or, or somewhere. Oh, wow. uh, let's see. Overall, nine years in the big leagues. 2003 was his final season in the big leagues with the Dodgers, his only year there. Uh, 69 games, played first and third, hit 240, 299 on base, four home runs, 15 RBI. And that is good for a war of 0.3. Nothing on this card is going to help you out, unfortunately. Nicknamed Coomdog. That makes sense. Current color analyst and play-by-play broadcaster for the Cubs. Oh, so not for the Twins. He did play for the Cubs a little bit during his career. Drafted by the A's in 87. All right. Oh, boy. You've got a good name here, but I don't think you're going to get a lot out of him at this point in his career. Here for the Rangers, it is Hideki Arabu, the Toad. The Toad. That's just that's just a mean thing to say. I apologize. Yeah, this is true, but, you know, everybody has a nickname, some they don't like. Yeah, but when George Steinbrenner gives it to you and does so in the way that he did, that's... Uh, yeah, Steinbrenner makes it not deliverable. He is not listed in baseball references having a nickname. Uh, two World Series wins, uh, rings for Hideki Rabu. When he passed away, let's see, in 2011, he was only 42 years old. Uh, Hideki Rabu, yes, and his final year was 2002. So once again, you're going to get nothing off this card. You're, you've got a lot of guys that are retiring. Uh, let's see, six years in the big leagues, three with the Yankees, two at the Expos, one with Texas. Overall, 34 and 35 with a 5.15 ERA and an 89 ERA plus, a lifetime 3.4 war. Uh, boy, I remember he was, uh, signed. so let's see, he was purchased from the Chibolote Marines by the Padres, but then the Padres turned around and traded him to the Yankees for a minor leaguer, Homer Bush, Rafael Medina, Ruben Rivera, and $3 million. Wow. I, I just remember, he was a, there was a lot expected from Hideki Rabu. There there was, yeah. I remember it was a big deal. Uh, Beyond playing for the Marines, also uh, played for the Hanshin Tigers uh, in his time in Japan. All right. uh, Next, you've got another pitcher for San Diego. If they could go north a little bit, that would help us out. Uh, Pitcher for the Dads, Brian Lawrence. Brian Lawrence. Let's see. Brian Lawrence, six years in the big leagues. Good news for you. uh, He did play in 2003. (laughs) Okay. Six years, five with the Padres, one with the Mets. In 2003 with San Diego, he went 10 and 15 with a 4.19 ERA, 210 innings, 116 strikeouts, and a 94 ERA plus. And that will equate to a war of 1.1. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out. We're in the era of baggy long pants. Oh, uh, yes. And well, you know what? His sideburns are parallel to the bottom. I'm going to give it to you. They might be creeping past the bottom of his earlobe. This is this is a high time for for uh, sideburns here during this uh, set. Yeah, they, they were popular. I admit I was part of the crowd. <laughs> All right, you've got two cards left. You're at 11.3. Oh, no. Uh, definitely on our do not talk about list. So we're just going to do a quick uh, look at the numbers of third baseman for the Rays, Aubrey Huff. Yes. 
Uh, let's see, 2003, Aubrey Huff played in every game, 162 games, hit 311, had 47 doubles, 34 home runs, 107 RBI, and wow, he walked 53 times, only struck out 80, a 145 OPS plus, and that is going to be a war of 4.0 even, and it looks like he's got some flip down, so that'll be a 4.1. That will take you to your final card. And uh, you've got another Yankee, a former athletic. I believe he was a, a first-round draft pick by the A's. Pitcher Steve Carse. Ah, yes, Carse, definitely. I believe he, yeah, you're right. He was a first-round pick. He had a, he had a pretty long career, I think. Uh, let's see, well, 11 years. Yeah, that's pretty good. Not bad. Uh, first round, well, first of all, he was first-round draft pick by the Blue Jays. Oh, I didn't know that. In 1990. He was dealt for who? Uh, so he was then traded three years later for some clown named Ricky Henderson. That's Ricky with an E. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately for you, Steve Carsey was injured in 2003 and did not play. In his 11 years, four with Oakland, four with Cleveland, three with the Yankees, and then Atlanta and Texas for one apiece. Overall, a 32-39 and 39 record and a career war of 11.1. Uh, there is nothing on this card either that is going to help you out. Well, that's not a good one. No. So uh, that will end you at 15.4. Not bad. I mean, it's better than your 6.4 from last week. So. Oh, yeah. We've definitely improved. All right. So uh, let's get onto my pack here. My first uh, my first card. Oh, this is a good looking card. It's a, a uh, horizontal card. Catcher for the Reds. It is Jason LaRue. I do remember him a little bit. Yeah, I definitely remember Jason LaRue. 12 years in the big leagues, eight with the Reds, three with the Cardinals, one with the Royals. In 2003 with Cincinnati, he caught 118 games. He hit 230, 16 home runs, 50 RBI, and a 96 OPS plus. And that is good for a 1.8 war. Nothing on this card is going to help me out, but I'm at least in the positive. Not as good as your first card, but right. I'll still, uh, I'll still take what I can get. If I remember right, LaRue was quite a good defensive uh, backstop. Yes, you're right, though. Uh, it was uh, known for his defensive ability. Mm. Suffered a concussion caused by a kick to the head by pitcher Red's Johnny Cueto during a bench-clearing brawl. <laughs> Ouch. Wow. I, I mean, was it, a, was it a flying kick, or was he on the ground or something? I'm not sure. But uh, that looks like it kind of led to the end of his career. He says he suffered close to 20 concussions, dating back to his time as a high school football player. Wow. Jeez. I hope he's doing okay. Uh, my second card. Oh, it's another horizontal card. Here, third baseman for the Rocks, it's Todd Zeal. Todd, good housekeeping Zeal. Let's see. Todd Zeal, 16 years in the big leagues, 12 for the Cardinals, 3 with the Mets, and then it's probably quicker to name the teams he was not on. In 2003, however, he split time between the Yankees and the Expos. Overall, he played in 100 games, hit 227, uh, 11 home runs, 42 RBI, and 81 OPS plus, and that will equal a .2 WAR. And uh, unfortunately, nothing else on this card is going to help me out. I remember when Zeal came up; it was a big deal that he was a catcher, you know, and he was a good hitting catcher. And then he ended up being a third baseman. He played for a long time and was that guy. Boy, he got traded for everybody. 
<laughs> One of those guys. He was included in the uh, with Mike Piazza from the Dodgers to the Marlins for for Bobby Bonilla and uh, Sheffield and, and Charles Johnson. Traded with Pete Incavilia. Oh, he's traded with Benny Agbayani, my guy, uh, in a big three-way deal. I mean, he was traded a lot with a lot of... I mean, he was always thought of well enough to... Uh, to be acquired late in the season to as that is that veteran to help a team with the uh, with the run to the postseason. Yeah, that would make sense. Played for a lot of different teams. Mm-hmm. Hit a home run on his final at bat in 2004. One of 53 players to do it. Also, the final player to hit a home run off a Montreal Expos pitcher. Oh wow, that's good trivia. Yeah, that that is very good trivia. Now here it says film work, so I might get some bonus here. Oh. Uh, let's see. Film production and acting. Founded Green Diamond Entertainment. Uh, he appeared in the following. He appeared in an episode of Saturday Night Live, the movie Dirty Deeds, an episode, oh, two episodes of King of Queens, and then a movie called I Am. Very nice. Wow. You got a better career than me in acting. I, I think I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to go with a, a half a point here for the, uh, for the yeah, IMDb. I, th- I think with that many listings, you kind of have to. Yeah, let's see. Uh, also is a direct descendant of both John Quincy Adams and John Adams. And wow. he, he married Olympic gymnast Julianne McNamara, who was the first Olympic gymnast to earn a perfect 10 at the Olympics. Wow. Uh, daughter Hannah appeared in the TV series This Is Us. Then apparently he married the daughter, I guess this is a, another marriage, uh, Kristen Gamboa, who was the daughter of the uh, ex-manager m- uh, Tom Gamboa. Hmm. Wow. He's got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> all right. Didn't give me a whole lot of points, but still. Uh, wow. All my cards seem to be horizontal here. Next, uh, we had this guy last week. Here he is, though, with Cleveland, Ellis Burks. I gotta love Ellis. All right. Since we had him last week, first round draft pick of the Red Sox in 83, 18 years in the big leagues, most of it with Boston, then Cleveland and Colorado as well. 2003 is final year with Cleveland at age 38 in 55 games. He hit 263, six home runs, 28 RBI, a 109 OPS plus, and that is good for a war of 0.6. He has got a mustache and eye black here, so that will be a 0.8 for me. I'm going forward, but just not very quickly. Yeah, we did talk about him. Uh, we have talked about him a number of times. Something I don't think we've mentioned, though, is that uh, he lost in the junior college championship to Jay Buner's team in the McLennan Community College. Yeah, we mentioned that just last week because that was the first time we'd heard of it. I know I'm messing with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, but you so. know what? That is a precursor because I'm looking here at his postseason batting. He made the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six different years with with different teams. Never won wow. a postseason series. Wow. Yeah. So Bone was just preparing him for what was ahead. Obviously, yes. Okay. Oh, boy. I remember this guy. Uh, he, here he is with the Pirates. I remember him mainly with the Reds and the Red Sox. Uh, second baseman Pokey Reese. Yes, he signed a deal with the Mariners and never played. He was hurt. He thought better of it <laughs> yeah, <must have> <laughs> at that time. <laughs> he was even featured on one of the Mariners commercials. But oh, boy. Never played. <laughs> uh, first round draft pick by the Reds in 1991. He played for eight years, five with Cincinnati, two with the Bucks, one with the Reds. 2003, his final year with uh, Pittsburgh, only appeared in 37 games, hit 215. One home run, 12 RBI, six stolen bases, no caught stealing, OPS plus of 39. 
He never had an OPS plus above 86 in his major league career, which I mean, all I heard so much about this guy, like he was going to be the next big second baseman. And boy, he oh, yeah. did not yeah. pan out. Uh, minus 0.4 war on the year. Uh, he does have some flip down, so it'll only be a minus 0.3. Uh, also sliding into second base here, none other than Adam Dunn. All right, my next card is a Royal. Yeah, I know he's uh, been doing a Royals fantasy camp. Here it is. Uh, let's see, what is he listed here as third baseman Joe Randa? Joe Randa, I definitely remember him. Yeah, I think he played for a, a good bit. Let's see, 12 years in the big leagues, eight with the Royals, two with the Bucks, and then one for the Padres, Reds, and Tigers. In 2003 with Kansas City, 131 games, 291 average, 16 home runs, 72 RBI, a 104 OPS plus, and that is good. Wow, a war of 3.0. I'll take it. Doubles my score. Man. Nothing else on this card is going to help me out. Oh, well, he was traded by the Royals to the Pirates for Jay Bell and Jeff King in hmm. 96. I think those guys were both past their prime at that point, but those were two. Uh, late 80s, early 90s guys that had good good numbers. Nicknamed the Joker due to his resemblance uh, to the character in Batman and his ever-present smile, especially during plate appearances. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, next, uh, I've got a pitcher for Cleveland, Danny's Baez. I believe he was Cuban. Yeah. Back when people... Uh, you know, migrating from Cuba to the major leagues was still uh, still a, a rare thing. But yeah, definitely Cuban. Ten years in the big leagues. Three with Cleveland, two with Tampa, then a bunch of other teams. In 2003, uh-oh, with Cleveland, two and nine. Uh, let's see, he was a reliever at this point. A 3.8 ERA and a 116 ERA plus. And that is good for a .5 war. Nothing else can help me out. Just uh, want to point out, Danis, or Danny's or Danis Baez, not Daenerys Baez. No. He, he was not the Khaleesi of Cuba. Oh, okay. Just making sure everybody understands that. I will take your word for that. <laughs> Defected from the Cuban team at the 1999 Pan American Games in Winnipeg. Huh, that happened a lot. Ah, it just happened, uh, their bullpen catcher from the WBC did not oh, show up. Yeah, did oh, not show up to go home. All right. Well, I think this one will help. Uh, this is a special card. It's an insert. It's meant to look like a playing card, and I would say it's an ace because it's Pedro Martinez. Ooh. I might get right back in this. You got a good one right there. Pedro Martinez was a was an all-star, let's see, eight times in his career. 2003 is one of those odd years where he wasn't. He still went 14 and 4, led the league in ERA with a 2.22 ERA in 29 games, 186 innings pitched, 206 strikeouts, and a 211 ERA plus. Came in third in the Cy Young voting and 22nd in MVP voting. Wow. Overall, that is going to get me an 8.0. Uh, nothing else on this card is going to help me out because it's just a head and shoulder shot. Oh, he's got a mustache, I guess. So that'll get me an extra tenth of a point. And uh, wow, that'll bump me up to 14.6. Wow. So uh, with one card left, I'm only eight tenths of a point behind you. Uh, let's see. Signed as an amateur free agent by the Dodgers in 1988. Not, you know, he was traded by the Expos for Delino DeShields. And then he was traded to the Red Sox for a player to be named later and Carl Pavano. 
<laughs> that player to be named later ended up being Tony Armas, who at that point oh, wow. had to be 604 <laughs> years old. No kidding. <clears throat> Couldn't afford baseballs as a youth on the uh, Dominican Republic, so he practiced with oranges. Hey, whatever you can get. Yeah. I like it. I think it worked out for him. So, <laughs> Yes, it's a good style of training right there. Boy, I, you know what I remember is, uh, you know, the the all the playoff games between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Old Yankee Stadium just yelling, who's your daddy at him? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But boy, I mean, he definitely got, you know, it was give and take. He uh, he owned them just as many times as they got to him. Yeah. Many people will not forgive him for costing Grady Little his job, though. Uh, didn't he also hit Gerald Williams? Yeah. That started a brawl. It was like during a no-hitter or something. It was during a no-hitter. and he, Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, remember going, I'm pretty sure that wasn't intentional. I mean, if we were to if we were to do an episode on Pedro Martinez, it would probably have to be a two-parter. I mean, he yeah. just he did so many things and yeah. was so good and had, you know, possibly the the greatest season in, in baseball at one point. And that was a perfect game when he hit and it was Reggie Sanders. That's right. That yes. And it was a perfect game at that point. <laughs> Sanders charged the mound. All-star strikeout. Uh, streak. He consecutively struck out Barry Larkin, Larry Walker, and Sammy Sosa, and then Mark McGuire to lead off the next inning. That's a no, that's pretty not so bad. Pretty good foursome right there. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Yeah, he was one of the absolute best pitchers I've ever seen. Uh, will never be forgiven, probably by just anybody, for uh, tossing Don Zimmer during a oh, ball. I remember that. Now, let me just say a little. I don't think he. It's not like he grabbed him and by the arm and threw him through the air. You shouldn't be putting. I hands on a 72-year-old you know, legend. Zimmer was charging him, though. He what was, is he supposed to do? Step to the side? Yeah, he, did. <laughs> he did. He stepped to the side and he pushed him away. Uh, Pedro has uh, said that that was, uh, that he regretted that. And uh, he, sti- he still denies being at fault, but yeah. Well, of course he wasn't at fault. <laughs> wow, we got a, a Pedro Martinez sympathizer all of a sudden. Well, and, and, and I'm a Don Zimmer fan, too. We, we did a whole show on him. And, but I just, that situation, I thought, well, if I were there, would I, what would I do? Just get hit? Get run over by a big dude? I don't know. Uh, but he, he did, I mean, he did forcefully push him away and, and so on. You could look at that. But um, I'm just, I don't see it as a big incident as a lot of people do. All right. Well, you can send your email to. That's right. You can get to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm down to my final card. I am at 14.6. You ended up with a 15.4. And I don't know how we're going to do this because I've got a postseason highlights card. (laughs) Good thing this is an exhibition game. (laughs) Yeah. Where the Angels beat the Yankees nine to six. Uh, The the. There's three panels here. The biggest panel is a Tim Salmon highlight where you went two for five with a double and a home run and four RBI in the game three win to stun the Yanks. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll let it be your call. We could either do Mike Trout or nothing, and I'm fine with nothing. <laughs> well, it's a or not Mike Trout. It's, I'm sorry, not Mike Trout, Tim Salmon. The problem is with a guy like Tim Salmon, it's, this is a deciding whether you win or lose. Yeah, I, I think let's just take a peek. We're not going to, we won't do it. I, I will give you the exhibition win. I'm not too worried about the exhibition win. But uh, let's see. You Tim's, call it a draw. 
Hey, yeah, this is an exhibition game. We could just walk out the right. field. Yeah, that's what they do. Uh, 2003, he hit 275, 19 home runs, 72 RBI, a 122 OPS plus, and a 2.8 war. Yeah, so we'll just call this one a draw. It's our last exhibition game where, uh, you know, everybody wants to get on the charter to get back to uh, our home cities to start the season next week. So uh, we're done. <laughs> that's it we're walking all right so that'll do it a rare tie for uh for this our final exhibition game don't forget next week we are going to start playing again in our fifth season of wax Facts heroes it's a dynasty at this point and it needs to be broken up so we'll see <laughs> what we can do but uh, that'll do it for this round mark it's also going to wrap up this episode if you want more of us you can find us uh, all over the internet at two strike noise that is at two strike noise you can also look in the show notes there's links to everything there, as well as an email address that Mark's going to tell you about. You can write to us at two strike noise, spell it out, T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. All right. And if you've stuck around this long, don't forget, we're going to play the entire just ear bleeding version of We Are the Champions uh, by the uh, the Blue Wrecking Crew, the big Blue Wrecking Crew, as I believe what they went by. But, uh, you know. Please do come back next week regardless. Uh, We'll be back for another episode (laughs) of Two Throwover Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. I pay my dues Time after time I've done my sentence But committed no crime And bad mistakes I've made a few I've had my shirt and kicked in my face Taken my vows and my curtain call. You brought me fame and fortune and everything that goes with it. And I thank you all. But it's been no better roses.